Fox News alert millions of American families. Yeah, Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for CBS News. I'm George Thomas. We begin with the latest. Here at St. John's Baxville, there are certainly a lot of factors here at the LAPD. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for CBS News. Watch on George Thomas. We begin with the latest in the coronavirus pandemic. Number of cases here in the U.S. took just a minute but that's okay because uh you know life happens and uh we we gotta roll with the punches that's gonna be kind of the theme of the show today um so i have gion correct yes okay the the zen master who i had come across on clubhouse and uh i was really really interested in the things that uh he's all about and uh some of the life experiences that he's he's led and so i wanted to get him on the show and uh be able to talk about a few different things so um you grew up in the ussr correct yes and and wh what country exactly because I, I know it was kind of like a huge area and it's now multiple countries yeah right now it's uh soviet union but the country I was born um, is actually now named Transnistria. Okay. And there is also another name for that, which I cannot pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> I won't try it. <laughs> so so what, what was growing up in the USSR like for you? Yeah, so uh, first of all, I have to say, I am born into a Jewish family, so it's a little bit maybe different um, than for a normal Soviet Union citizen. We had our own way of living, and um, I think I was living in a kind of a protected bubble uh, at that time. So um, I only know my, uh, the first seven years of my life, because that's the time I was actually there, and then we moved to, to Germany. Um, and all I remember is that I had a lot of toys, <laughs> all kinds of toys, any, anything possible. <laughs> and my family didn't really let me play too much outside with the other kids because they were a little bit afraid uh, for my well-being because I was Jewish. So I'm not sure if there was truly danger to me, but that's how they felt. They were always about safety first. <laughs> so I was basically growing up, growing up myself. And then with six years, I was one of the first actually to uh, go so young to school. And yeah, I just remember being um, in the first class and learning, studying. I didn't enjoy it too much. <laughs> of, of course yeah. not. 
<laughs> no. So, so, so you were born in the USSR in, in under Soviet control, and then your family moved to Germany. I, I assume your family had, had a lot more stories to tell about what it was like under Soviet control. Yeah, Soviet controls sounds so uh, authoritarian. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I can tell you this. Um, there are um, there really every person you ask there will tell you another story. So some people will say it was horrible. There were yeah there were no chances to evolve or anything like that. But then. Some other people will tell you, and I think also quite a lot of people, that it was actually good for them, that they had free housing. They didn't need to, to live on the street and everyone had a job. So yes, there was oftentimes scarcity of food or uh, certain um, things that uh, consuming things, that is true. But at the same time, there was enough for everyone, usually, most of the time. So it's really a complex matter. Yeah. yeah. The well, best it, solution, if you ask me, would be to have both, to have um, public housing so everyone has uh, a house and a job, but also the freedom, the liberty to choose what they want and to um, to evolve. I think that is ideally what we humans are striving for, all of us. And yeah. Germany, for instance, where I live most of my life, they had that idea in mind for a while. It was a social, soziale uh, Marktwirtschaft, a social market, market um, economy. Yeah. So, that worked for a while, but it it changed a lot during the years. So now it's just becoming more and more less social. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and personally, my myself, I, I come from a uh, a radical free market stance that uh, I I believe the market. In, in essence, can pretty much take care of all, all of our needs. I, I do see the need for some, some sort of uh, social net, social safety net for people. You know, there, there are some people in society that unfortunately do get dealt a bad hand in life and they shouldn't be just abandoned. You know, I, I do agree with that concept. I just don't agree that the government should do it. You know, I, I think there are plenty of other ways that uh, we as sovereign people could be able to provide for these people collectively. So, you know, that, that's, that that's really where I come from. So for me, it doesn't really matter what concept you use for what matters to me is if it works. So if it works, I'm in whatever you call it. Yeah. And yeah, right that, now, that's pretty noble. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, what we see is that none of these concepts uh, work. They they have a limit. So 
it they work to some degree. I agree with that, but there is a limit. Um, I just checked recently, and if I'm not wrong, alone in the United States, and you can. Oh, did I lose you? Oh. Oh, your mic isn't connected. Let's see. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Yeah, I, I can hear you. Let's see. Oh, I lost you again. Yeah, I, I can't hear your mic. If there is no echo, then I will talk without the, the, this device. Yeah, yeah, so, it, it sounds good on this end. All right. So there is a huge amount of children right now in the US, for instance, like I think 15 million. Um, mm -hmm. You can double check it actually how many 15 million children um, supposedly who live under the um the poverty um limit so this yeah. is a lot and in uh, russia in the soviet union no not Soviet, in russia right now there are 13 million people so including children who are living under that limit so you see it's 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 not that easy it's very complex yeah and but russia is also not soviet union anymore it's not communist yeah. it's it's um, it has and, its own system and it is evolving at some and america point. isn't free market anymore so yeah you know i i, I would argue that uh, uh america is a is a lot closer to uh fascism than anything as as far as our economy goes uh the well, the melding of uh what do you mean of, fascism? The, the melding of government and corporation working in unison together. Mm -hmm. So, so when, when there is no separation of government or corporation is fascism. All right. So, I didn't know that this is the definition of fascism. That's a new, uh, I mean, that's, that's how Mussolini categorized it. So, oh, right. Okay. So, I mean, I'll, I'll listen to listen Mussolini. to a lot of people, but example, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he's he's a pretty good example of what fascism is, in my yes. opinion. So, um, you know, I I I just don't see the uh, the the competence in how um, government can take care of people, um largely on a large scale, especially in a country of 360 plus million people. Um, 
you know, our, our Department of Education keeps spending more and more money every year, and yet our test scores don't go up. So that's not the issue. You know, um, the, like you said, the, the issues are a lot more complicated, and I don't think one single entity can make the right decision for every individual person. It just doesn't yes. seem logical to me. It is impossible. You're right. It's becoming actually more and more complex. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, the problem is not really the the government. The problem is that democracy, as it is right now, um, has a major flaw, and that major flaw is that it is not focusing on the individual, on humanity itself. It is focusing on majorities and minorities, and that's it. So, as long democracy is just about focusing on who is right and who has the bigger power, then it becomes a plutocracy because it becomes it becomes about who has the bigger amount of money and power to influence the people. Yeah. So, and if you have a plutocracy, then of course uh, that um, the markets are not free. Nothing is free, actually. It's just an illusion of freedom. But imagine if democracy would actually be as Socrates were thinking about it, um, uh, something that serves the human and humanity and the human aspect of it, the individual. What is it to be a human being, right? What is yeah. what does it make us human? It is that we have positive liberty, also negative liberty, if you know what, what it means. Yeah. So, and it means that we can do choices, but it also means that we are supported in our growth, in our evolution, and we are nourished also as humans to evolve and to grow and to explore. That is what means to be a human being. But if democracy is not about, is not grounded, not based on being actually human, if that's not the basic need of it, then democracy becomes a, yeah, full of demagogues. And that's exactly yeah. what Socrates was teaching, and that's why he was killed. He was the yeah. first one of the first creators of democracy, and he was killed by democracy. So <laughs> I think that's where it actually ended. Yeah. The well, and it's it it's interesting because you know it's it's a good thing to focus on minorities, and my my thing is to focus on the number one major minority, and that's the individual. And in in any instance, it's always the individual that gets persecuted the most. Um, everyone's story is different, and I, I think that that kind of meshes with with the Zen principle as well. Uh, had, uh, would you agree to a statement like that? Absolutely, because Zen is all about the individual. It's about, um, my Zen master once said, everyone is busy about helping, rescuing the world, but only a few people are actually busy about liberating themselves from inside. And he said, as the Buddha stated, that if you want to to bring peace into the world, you have to become that peace first. So it's all about the individual, absolutely. But yeah. it is not yeah. about individuality as we are 
um, learning about it in the West, because that's not about being individual. It's just about proclaiming to be individual while in reality just following everybody else. That's not yeah. true individualism. Yeah, I, I always found that kind of funny. So I, you know, when it, when I was younger, I, I would go to a lot of punk rock shows and stuff. And, you know, that, that, that's a culture of a lot of, um, you know, we're, we're all individuals, we're, we're anti-establishment and things like that. And it was always really funny. And it's like, you couldn't be punk. You couldn't be part of the community unless you dressed like them, unless you looked like them unless you listen to the same music as them. And it's like, what are you guys talking about? Like, you're just a smaller group of the same thing that you're claiming to fight. So I, I just, it was always just kind of an interesting realization that, uh, so I, I would agree with that, that just because people claim to be individualistic doesn't mean they actually are. Yes, unfortunately, most of the groups you will find are all about identity. And if once you have that identity, even if it is about being anarchistic or free, it's it, that kind of identity is always also about separating oneself from other people and from anything else. And so then if you in any way are different, Again, even in such a group, you will find yourself um, being different and being not accepted. So, yeah, that's why we really have to work and focus more on the positive liberty. And positive liberty comes from the inside. True positive liberty comes when we realize that we are already free. And that realization doesn't come just mentally, just through philosophy. Philosophy is only the beginning. It comes by really, truly studying oneself. And how do we study? By becoming more aware of ourselves, by becoming aware of our subconsciousness. Then if you know psychologically, we are just about over 90% subconscious and all our decisions are driven subconsciously. Over 90%, it's proven science. If you know that, if you believe that, and you can observe that, then what liberty do we have if we don't discover our subconsciousness, if we don't dig deep, deep within ourselves and realize who we truly are, then all liberty that we have, no matter how much freedom we have, no matter how much power and money we have, even if we are the president of the United States, all we do are just being puppeteers of our ego, of our subconsciousness. And so then it is very easy for us to be influenced by anything without our notice. We just think we are free, but in truth, we are not. And that is what Zen is saying, that the greatest uh, drama of the human life is not that we die, but that we live without ever have been born. Yeah, interesting. That's... Very, very well put. So one, one thing um, I, I'm sure my listeners would like to know, really, where where is a starting point to free the mind? Uh, where Where's a good starting point? Because uh, obviously there's 
it's going to be a different answer for everybody. Um, but say somebody is, is really interested on taking that path, learning more, uh, where do they start? The starting point is the same for everybody. It's the question, just that what you are doing right now, questioning, asking the question. You see, we are human beings because we think, we see ourselves, we recognize ourselves in the mirror. And so we are different from the animal. That's what many people think. But in truth, we know already that many animals actually can also recognize themselves in the mirror. I know a cat who can do, who is doing that. I know there are monkeys and whales and so on. So um, just because we see and recognize ourselves in the mirror doesn't make us actually in any way special. What makes us special is when we start to question, self-reflect ourselves. That means, who am I? What is it? Why am I here? All these questions that every child usually has. I don't know any child who wouldn't start at some point to ask such a question, except children who are grown, grown up in environments where it is just not provided at all, that space to question anything. So that can be a space of very strict religion or very strict beliefs or political views or anything like that. Anything that is authoritarian, basically. Yeah. So, so asking that question, just yeah. ask question instead of doing what everyone else does without any questioning. Just doing, just following. I, why do you do it? Because I was told or because everyone else is doing that. So it must be right. Not even questioning anything so yes you can do all the meditation meditation and spirituality right now is is a huge million or billion dollar business yeah yogas meditation spirituality then not so much for a reason because they don't want to question they just want to get the benefits of of um, meditation or spirituality what are the benefits for them having a spiritual ego feeling special or becoming more healthy or looking more uh, having a higher vibration all of that but not asking actually the question at all indeed even more deeper going into ignorance so that way this is not meditation this is just ignorant practicing more ignorance and that is why we still see so many wars and so much inequality, inequity in the world, because nobody asks the question. And the media all the time talking about fake news and the danger of fake news. Fake news is not the danger. The danger is if people don't ask questions and if people are brought up already in schools, as children brought up in schools, just learning things, but not unlearning and not opening their minds, their hearts they're um, not opening for the question, not allowing them to ask questions and to think for themselves. That creates huge danger and that creates the danger we saw in the, for example, in the, um, with the Nazis. A lot of them were highly educated people. They were 
uh, educated in doc being doctor. They were educated engineers. They were educated in anything, you name it. They were all highly educated, going to school and so on. But what did they do with that education? They killed. So education obviously is not enough. It doesn't lead us to become better humans when we just follow that kind of education. So asking the question. And if you don't have the question, well, then either you are afraid of it to ask the question. I can understand that. Or you're not ready yet. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> yeah, Just of course. Yeah, so I, I, I think I told you this. So I, uh, on on the spiritual side, the, the philosophical side, I, I, I identify as a Taoist. Um, I, I think that's one of the closest belief systems that I, I resonate with. Um, and I, I stumbled upon it uh, just right outside of high school or right when I was in high school. And it, it made a lot of sense to me because it was more of how do I live now? Um, whereas in a, a lot of other religions are preparing for an afterlife or a second life, which I, I think there is some value in that as well. But, you know, I, I was 18, 19 years old. I, I was more curious about how to live in the now, how, how more to to associate with my surroundings. I was a little less concerned with the, the next life. Um, what, what teachings specifically do you recommend um, to anyone, whether they're uh, more advanced or beginning? Mm -hmm. Well, Taoism is a huge subject also, and it's also part of Zen. I started with Taoism, with Tao yoga. And uh, by Mantak Chia, and he wrote many books about it and um, many practical books. So I would recommend actually these books. They are great if you if you want to have something very practical and very quick to practice and realize. And Tao Yoga is is truly um, a fast lane. Yeah. And it works with the mind, it works with the body, it works with uh, sexual energy. So it's all, um, it works with everything. It's very holistic. Um, by the way, it, it does fo focus on the afterlife. It's only yeah. that it focuses in the now. So creating that body uh, already in the now. <laughs> so you can leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the reason well, why, I... yes. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. The reason why I I, uh, I went to Zen after a while, I studied Tao yoga for four years, um, was because I saw that Tao yoga gives me the ability to expand my awareness, to expand my presence, to expand my knowledge, my wisdom, and so on. But it was still in my ego. It was still contained in the in the sense of ego. So it was basically like instead of having just a little bucket of water of awareness and pleasure with Tao Yoga, you expanded and at some point you reach the state of swimming pool. 
you have then oh, much more awareness and pleasure in your life and happiness. But Zen is like the hammer and it destroys the bucket, it destroys the swimming pool. And until you are left with nothing. <laughs> so everything becomes your swimming pool. And that's the difference uh, a little bit between at least the practice, because in reality, always can lead to this experience, to this expression. And so what can we do? If you really ask me again, I come to that. Ask, start questioning. One question can completely change your life. If you ask the right question with the right attitude, what is attitude with the right int intention, with a humble intention in that moment, you can awaken right on. It can happen any moment. All it takes is one question. You can question who are you? You can question your life. You can question uh, what you see, what you hear. Just question it. Is that, what is that? What is it? Do I really know what it is? Do I really know myself? What is this body? Who is hearing, who is seeing, who is thinking, or what is it? Just start with that. That's the base. Yeah. And once you do that, you'll see what you want to do, and how you want to go on. Um, I believe sitting meditation is very important because um, just sitting still is like becoming again a tree. The tree is just sitting still in the ground and the roots are deep in, in the earth. Our roots are in our belly. When we eat, the, all the um, vitamins and all the things that we need, uh, that we need for surviving get, gets digested and taken into our body, in our guts, in our belly, in our stomach. We are like trees. Just that our roots are not in the earth, not in our feet, but in our stomachs, in our belly. And so Interesting. And, and feel your belly rising up and down and breathe. And if you do that every day for 15 minutes, if you manage 15 minutes every day, then after one year, you will have much more awareness and your subconsciousness will become less. You will become more conscious about why you do things and how things work and so on. So that will rise, <clears throat> rise your awareness. And then through the rise of awareness, you will be able to see things that were already there, but you didn't see them because your awareness was too little at that moment. And that's where awakening will start. Interesting. I, I think my my viewers will find that uh, very helpful um, and interesting as well. So thank you for that. Um, one one thing I kind of want to uh, go back to is that you, you had mentioned the ego, and I, I think that's one of, in in my opinion, that's one of the hardest things for people to overcome. 
It's one of the, the greatest challenges that we do face. Uh, I don't believe it's the only one, and I do think it is different for everyone. But I, I know for myself, I, I've had major issues um, trying to break down my egotistical nature, um, the ego itself. Um, of course, I've gotten better with age, um, but I, I see a lot of people struggle with that. And a lot of people don't even know. So what, what, what do you, let's see, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this correctly. Um, how do you, how do you view the ego itself? Yeah, exactly. You start with a real question. Because before we can talk about the ego, we have to define what do we mean by that? Everyone talks about it and means something else. So for me, the ego is actually not something necessarily bad at all. And many people believe that Zen is about or some spirituality is about to fight the ego or to overcome the ego. That's uh, why it doesn't work, because what is it in you that wants to overcome the ego? What instance in you wants to fight the ego? Is it your Buddha nature or is it your ego? Interesting question. <laughs> and I like that question. And that I, I do agree that the ego itself is not inherently negative. Uh, I, I do think that a unmanaged ego can lead to issues. Yeah. Is, is that something that you could agree with? So the ego is, um, there is the, the positive ego, as I call it in my book, the positive ego is all my experiences, all my uh, things that make me who I am, my name, my experiences, my traits, my abilities, my disabilities, my talents, and so forth. My ex uh, everything I experienced um, and what I do. So that is the positive ego. And I want to have that ego because that is what gives me the ability to talk to you. That gives me the ability to have um, to live in this dualistic life. And duality is another topic we, should, we may yeah. want to talk about. So, so that's not something I don't want. I want to have that ego, personality and so on. I like to embrace it. And um, we have to learn to embrace it, actually. Many people didn't even learn to do that, to love themselves, to allow themselves to love themselves and also know their traits, their abilities, and also even enjoy their disabilities because disabilities can lead to other abilities. If I'm not good at something, I can become better in something else. Often. One door closes, another door opens. So that's the positive ego. And then the negative ego for me is just the attachment actually to those traits. So it's not real. It's just what I am holding that. So 
if I have this, if I have something in my hand, and uh, let's say this is my ego, this is my personality, and I'm holding it so tightly, this is me. So what happens if you come to me also with that fist? We will have a fist fight. And that's what people do all the time, fighting <laughs> yeah. because they are fists. And that's what is the ego, actually. It's not what I am holding. It's not my ideas, my my experiences, my uh, my personality. That's not the ego. That's good. But when I start to hold it, grab it, and not let go, that's what makes the ego. And that's what makes us fight. But what if I... And then people in spirituality, when they don't truly understand spirituality yet, or on their level, let's say, what they say is just drop it, just let it go, just drop it, just be free of it. But dropping what? If I drop it, I drop all myself, I cannot be anymore anything. I'm just some kind of enlightened being on a mountain, but um, not able to, to do anything, not able to live, not able, just being a saint or if I'm a saint, if I'm a Dalai Lama, but Dalai Lama doesn't have children, he doesn't have a family, he just meditates and holds speeches and writes books, that's all. If you want to be Dalai Lama, go for it, if you want to be a saint. But that's not what Zen is striving for. Zen is striving, um, the idea of Zen is the middle way, and the middle way is to be a human, <clears throat> human being, a bodhisattva, which is a person in the midst of society. And so not above the humans and not below, but in the midst of it. But at the same time, not of it. In it, but not of it. And so in the moment when we actually open our hand and just let it, the ego be rather than let it go, let it be, let it be, right? Let it be rather than let it go. In that moment when you don't fight your ego anymore, you just allow it to be, but how can you allow it? Before you can allow something, you have to actually see. So you have to study yourself. You have to study yourself by asking questions. Who am I? And meditation, because meditation raises your awareness. Only when you have enough awareness, you can truly study yourself. So you see, you need both wisdom and meditation. That's what the Buddha said. One without the other doesn't work. Yeah, well said. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, well, one thing I, I thought you would have an interesting perspective on, I was kind of wanting to ask you about. Um, so at, at least here in the States, it it seems like there there is more of a culture of people who make excuses rather than taking responsibility for themselves. Um, and I, I'm sure there's there's some bleed out into the rest of the world, uh, at, at least the Western civilization. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sh so sure about uh, the East or, you know, anywhere in the Southern Hemisphere, except for maybe Australia and New Zealand, because they're more Westernized. Why, why do you think it's easier for people to be able to blame others instead of take responsibility? That's a that's a super question. Multidimensional. <laughs> Indeed. But, 
So, um, well, uh, the main, um, the Zen answer in it, I will go, go with the Zen answer first and then the therapeutical answer. So the Zen answer is as long I perceive myself as a separate entity, separate from everything else, from everybody else, an individual, which is not connected with anything, anyone, I will need always um, find someone to blame for my problems, for whatever I see, I will project it on other people. And the moment I see that I am interconnected with everyone, in that moment I cannot blame anyone anymore. It's impossible. It's very simple, it's simple logics. And the moment I realize that I am actually one with everyone at all times, that there is actually no separation between you and me, that that separation is just an illusion, a very constructive, beautiful illusion called duality, which I and you are enjoying right now. But it is an illusion. In that moment when it drops and I see, wow, you are me, I am you. We are one. We are the ocean. We are just experiencing to be a wave in it. We are one tree just experiencing to be a leaf. You are one, I am another. In that moment, how can I blame you? How could I ever blame anyone? It's impossible because no matter what I say, it's me. <laughs> you see, it's yeah. simple. Logic. That's the Zen answer to that. Interesting. And and how about the, the therapy answer, the, the therapeutic answer? Well, that's, <laughs> that's I'm not sure if that will be enough for uh, first 90 minutes or 60 minutes but <laughs> fair enough yeah fair enough so yeah. i i do want to bring that up though um you, you also um uh, along with the the many things that you have accomplished so far in your journey um you were you were also a trauma therapist correct yes i'm focusing on trauma but i'm, I'm a general ther therapist in general so i also work with couples and uh, individuals from all over the world, all colors, all nationalities, all religions, what everyone is welcome. What, Mostly what started you? What, what started you on that path? Was it the Zen that made you want to be able to help spread that? What started me everything what started me was myself. So I suffered 10 years of depression since I was 13. And um, for many reasons, I will not go into that now because we don't have the time, but um, I was depressed and I felt like I, um, I saw many people suffering and that made me also very depressed. I always had this universal heart, you can call it. So I always suffered for anyone. When I felt someone feeling not good, it made me suffer. So I started very early to ask the question, what is this all about and how can I help myself and also other people? And that is what led me to, to Zen first. But also um, I realized at some point of my practice that although I achieved uh, a, a very high state of awakening, and when I was in the monastery, 
he didn't there was deep down inside me some things that were unresolved and I knew it. I was very happy. I didn't really need to look at that. I, I could have gone on and on forever and just evolved, getting higher and higher on that awareness, on that awakening. But I realized that, and also seeing monks who were much longer in the monastery than me, somewhere for 20 years. My Zen master was for 40 years. But then I saw, because when you live with them, you see for many years, you, you see things that you don't see when you just hear or read their books about them or anything, or just spend a week within a retreat or a month. But if you live for years with them, you see things you, a normal person wouldn't see. And then you realize, wow, they're actually also normal human beings and they have quite some shadows which and trauma and which they don't didn't address because meditation as powerful as it is it also can empower you to bypass your psyche to bypass your um uh, all your problems your human problems and some people say well what's the problem if you feel happy sure but my goal at some point switched from becoming happy to becoming real and that was becoming more important to me than just being happy and so that is why i realized that zen or meditation is not enough i have to actually also face my shadows i have to face my trauma i have to face not just my trauma but the trauma of my parents and their parents maybe too even past life trauma some people are very connected to that so then I started working on myself um, therapeutically also, connect, collecting, connecting uh, spiritual work with therapeutical work on myself. And that was amazing. It helped me a lot. I, it made a lot of sense. It helped me to deal with my problems, with my life. It still does. And that is how then I developed that system and started using it on other with other people also because they asked me if I could help them so I I started working then too with other people connecting both worlds together that's incredible that's that's honestly some of the most important work um, and I'm, I'm definitely appreciative of people like yourself who who actually do see the importance of not just therapy, but also becoming self-aware. Um, I, I think I think there's a lot of trauma in the world. Uh, there, there's a there's there's a lot of pain and frustration, and it, it's really hard for people to deal with. Um, some people, for whatever reason, at least through my experience, I, I've noticed some people just even choose to just ignore it, which I think is one of the most unhealthy things. Um, therapy, you know, I, I've taken therapy, um, several different people off and on over the years. It's, I, I don't believe it's a, uh, you know, just a once and done thing. Um, it's, it's an investment in yourself, which in turn is an investment around you and everything that you affect. If you're for lack of a better term, a, a, uh, 
I don't I don't want to say sick. I, I think there are some sick people uh, mentally and emotionally, um, especially here in the States. Our, our mental health system over here is it. Well, it might as well just be non-existent. Well, the mentally health system is sick. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely the nice way of putting it. For sure, it's um, it's very tragic over here, um, and other parts of the world as well. If if there even is help in some parts of the world, which there isn't. Um. So I guess my question with with that would be. Once again, if if somebody needs the therapy, because I see a lot of, a lot of people really struggle. Uh, There's stigmatization here, at least. What, what would you say to somebody who's watching this that might not be taking therapy, but might need therapy? Um, Maybe they, they, they know it deep down but they don't have the courage to admit it. What what would you say to that person? Well, if you're not ripe for it, you cannot be forced so into it. And then it takes time. I think that the people who are right now listening already have some sort of opening and understanding. Otherwise I wouldn't, I don't think they would be here right now. So if you, um, if you feel that there is maybe something that you want to work on, then all you need to do is just to find the right therapist. It's not that you need to find therapy, you just need to find the right person with who you can work with, who can be a very good mirror for you and who you can trust. And if you're open to that, that will be tremendous life changing for you because we all need a mirror in order to see ourselves from time to time. So uh, ideally a therapist is just a mirror, an empty mirror, as empty as possible, of course, because nobody completely is empty, but as empty as possible. Because if I'm not an empty, mirror if i'm full of myself full of my trauma and conditioning and being a therapist then i will project a lot on you and i will not be able to truly give you the space to be yourself i will be constantly triggered by what you say and so on and that's unfortunately many therapists are like that and so of course then you don't want to have therapy because why would you want to have someone helping you who is full of himself or herself obviously it doesn't make sense so just open your eyes mind and heart for someone who is genuine who you feel is genuine and that's it interesting I, i really like that answer um so what what exactly uh, so so you're focusing on trauma what 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 exact trauma or is that a, a very broad 
spectrum? Yeah, thanks. I was waiting that you asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was once uh, in a room, uh, in a clubhouse room, and brought up trauma. And people said, but not everyone has traumatized, right? And that's true. Not everyone is traumatized. Um, what is uh, the problem with trauma is not actually trauma. Trauma, you can imagine, is like a stone that you put on a wooden uh, board. That stone is trauma. The wooden board is uh, your beingness, your psyche. If you keep that stone for 10 years on that board or for a very long time, and then you take away that stone, you will have an imprint on that board, most likely, if the stone is heavy. And that imprint will remain. And what is that imprint? That imprint is basically the, a conditioning. A conditioning that, um, yeah, that makes you decide in certain ways and think in certain ways and so forth. So it's not you anymore. It's the conditioning deciding for you. That's the subconsciousness. That's a, what we sometimes also call shadow. So even if the trauma is gone, you still are conditioned without knowing it. And that's why I say we are all traumatized. But what I actually mean is the conditioning. We are conditioned by trauma. So for instance, if um, I had a client whose parents, the parents of her parents were slaves. She didn't had any trauma about it because that's long time ago for her. And I'm mistaken. I think the parents of the parents of her parents, I think it's even further away, but you understand. So, yeah. so she was not aware of that conditioning in her, but during the time uh, working with me, she realized that it actually conditioned her parents and her, her whole upbringing was around slavery actually. She should, it was about around survival. She should suck it up instead of ex expressing how she feels. Just suck it up. Why? Because you need to survive. You need to be strong. You need to project strength. You need to be free. You need, I'm not talking about be free. I'm talking about you need to be free. So all of that is conditioning that comes when you you have to survive and the children become like that then too. That's what drives us then and we are not even aware of it. And then for what are we fighting? We are fight we are going then to war for liberty, but in reality we are don't even know why we are going to war. We don't even know ourselves. So that is how trauma is actually influencing us without our knowledge. And in that definition, every one of us is traumatized. I am traumatized. The question is, if we know it and can work with those energies and transform them, in that moment, trauma actually becomes a wave that you can ride on, like a server. You just learn how to have a board and serve on it and it can 
actually help you to grow, to expand your awareness and enlighten, awaken. That is why trauma is actually not bad if you just know how to use it. Wow, very, very insightful, in my opinion. You know, I, I definitely see a, a trauma in the world and I, I see a lot of people rejecting it. I, I, I tend to see, I, well, okay. I, I don't know if it's, if it's happening more or if it's always been there and it's always just been ignored, but there, there seems to be, or at least I'm more aware of trauma against children. And that, that just seems to be such a major issue. And of course, that, that trauma can take many different forms um, in, in many different aspects. I mean, even something simple as just yelling at a child but not explaining yourself um, clearly to a child to where something that they could understand, um, that, that could ultimately have a, a effect on the child when they're older and then maybe not even realize it. Um, do, do you feel that it's, it, it's more prevalent getting better or getting worse, uh, as, as far as, uh, a child abuse? Yeah. So abuse can lead to trauma. Yes. And there are positive abuse and negative abuse. Positive abuse is that what you just described, screaming, yelling at a child that's, um, uh, not forgive me, not positive, but conscious abuse. So conscious abuse is when you yell or you hit a child, that would be called conscious abuse. I'm aware of what I'm doing, more or less. It's obvious. Then unconscious abuse is much more tricky. It can be gaslighting, for instance, which often likes we are not even aware of that we are doing it. So for, for example, if my child comes to me and says, look, I see there is something going on or I don't feel good. I don't feel good today. And I say, why are you not feeling good? Everything is all right. You have your food, you have, uh, you slept, everything is good. You should feel good. But the child says, I don't feel good. So if I continue like that, I gaslight my child to believe that it feels good, even though it feels not good right now. And instead of giving space for what it feels, I just try to manipulate it without even being aware of it, probably even thinking that I'm doing something right, something good, because I'm helping the child to feel good. And that comes to the next unconscious abuse, which is not allowing my child to feel the way it wants to feel and not giving the whole full ABC of emotions, sometimes positive, also negative. Especially if I cannot live it, live it myself, if I am suppressing it myself, then I teach my, my child unconsciously to do the same. So there is a lot of abuse because of that. Yeah, and it, it seems, you know, there, there's a lot of patterns in those uh, types of behaviors that you know they usually somebody who 
who was abused ends up abusing later on. And I, I, I view that as one of one of the more tragic sides of, of this whole thing. And it, it definitely weighs heavy on my heart when I when I see things like that. Um, there, there's a belief system out there that, you know, I, it, it's pretty idealistic. And uh, I, I don't think that's lost on anyone who uh, at least strives to this. But there's a belief that we could end war by ending child abuse. And of course, it would take generations. But we could effectively end up reaching world peace by ending child abuse. How do you feel about that? Like I said, if you define abuse, as I just did, in conscious and unconscious abuse, then yes, because conscious abuse is not enough. If you just uh, don't hit your child anymore and don't scream or yell at your child anymore, that will not, that's not enough. It will, we will still have wars because there is still the gaslighting, there is still the suppression of emotions and suppression of certain traits in the child, trying to manipulate it to be in the way we want it to be and so on. That all creates trauma, all creates then um, aggress aggression. But if we realize that, if we allow the child to truly strive and grow, and also work on ourselves, because that's the only way. How can I avoid gaslighting if I'm not aware of it, <laughs> that I'm doing it? The only way truly to stop truly abusing unconsciously children is by working on yourself, by healing yourself as much as you can. Of course, there is no end to that, but there is definitely um, a limit or, or a mark where you can say, okay, I did a good job. This is, this is, uh, this is a stable work here. And um, as long I don't work on myself and just try to, to be good to my child and whatever, the child will still learn all that egoical patterns, narcissistic patterns, suppressive patterns and conditioning and separated, separated traits that I have within myself without even being aware of it. So still we will have wars. Yeah, I, I, do, I do think that's a very, very interesting point because so I, I've come into contact with, with, with people, you know, just throughout my life experience that, you know, the, the parent was just a terrible person and then the kid ended up being just a terrible person. Um, you know, the one instance I can think of that comes to mind is I was I was at like a a festival, a, a carnival, and there was um, a little kid picking up on this little girl, and not in in a good way. And I mean, I, I don't know how you could uh, define picking on as a, uh, a good manner, but I, I do think there could be an argument for a, uh, a healthy level of that maybe between brothers or sisters or brother and sister you or whatever. But... You felt it, right? You yeah. felt it. Exactly. Yeah. I had the same experience, the same festival, but go on. Yeah. And so what was interesting to me, that the most interesting part was that 
the 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 parent didn't attempt to correct behavior or explain to the child even that it was wrong or even stop their child from doing it. The parent just laughed about it and just enforced it. And I thought that was just such a like, like it, it was heartbreaking, but at the same time, uh, you know, stepping out away from that, taking the, the emotion out of it, it was, it, it was just so interesting to just see that dynamic. Um, of course, somebody in, ended up stepping in, but in that split moment, it was, it was just really interesting seeing that type of abuse to that child that that parent was raising, abusing that child by raising an abusive child. And I just, I thought it was very interesting to uh, see things through that lens. Yeah, but it seems to be freedom and it seems to be non-authoritarian, authoritarian, but it can become actually very much abusive and very much violent. It's just that you don't see the violence. You don't see the abuse. It's hidden. Same like yeah. gaslighting. You don't see it. You, many people are vulnerable narcissists. They constantly feel like they are victims of you and they will prove you wrong every time. They will prove you that you hurt them, that you stepped over their boundaries and whatever. We, we, we know about it. We see it all oh, over yeah. now. So, but in truth, they are actually the aggressors. So yeah. that's, the, that's the thing. I had a similar um, incident also on a festival where from the far, I was sitting with my friends and I see a child and he did something wrong. I don't exactly know what, but I knew that child. I knew that he's a bit difficult, but I also knew he's a very good child, just has some trouble and likes sometimes to be a troublemaker. Okay. His parents were, weren't there and there was one person, one guy who went to that child and pressed him down on the, uh, on the ground and pretended him to, to be tickling him, pretended to tickle him. But I felt that he's not actually tickling him. I felt that something is wrong. He's just pretending that he's playing while in reality he was actually pushing him down on the ground to, um, to teach him a lesson. And he's not his parent. So I went to him and I told him, this is wrong. What are you doing there? And he said, yeah, I just tickling him. I said, no, this is not tickling. And I asked the little boy, are you okay? And he said, no. And he, so he, I took him in my arms and I brought him to his mother. So that's the kind of hidden things, hidden abuses. And I find the hidden abuses can be sometimes much worse than the obvious abuse. abuse. Yeah. Because harder to see and harder to heal and harder to recognize that you were actually abused. Many people were, are not even then aware that they were actually abused. Some people grow up in families which are highly positive. That means they are always feeling good. At least that's what they want to, to present themselves and to the child. And the children don't know why they feel depressed all the time. It's because their parents never allowed them to feel bad, never allowed them to have negative emotions, to be angry or to be sad or to be afraid or anything like that. It was suppressed. And how do you call suppression if not violence? It is a form yeah. of violence. It is a form of unconscious abuse. The parents probably thought they are doing something good, but the child was completely broken because of that later on in 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, that manifests itself in very strange ways when you become an adult, which, which can lead to just so many more problems. Totally bipolar. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really interesting. Um, so, so I think we should wrap up here. It's, it's been absolutely just phenomenal having you on. It's, it's been great. And I definitely want to get you back on at some point because uh, we, we've got a lot more discussion to have, get into duality, which is a very, very interesting subject in my opinion. Um, so go ahead and go ahead and let everyone know like what you're up to, where they can find you um, and uh, shout out your social medias or whatever. Yeah. So thanks very much. Um, I enjoyed it a lot and uh, it was very unexpected. But I knew that it would be good. <laughs> so I am um, on Clubhouse right now, um, twice, three times a month. I go to Clubhouse. I open a room, or some people interview me. Some uh, are in German. Some are uh, most are in Eng uh, uh, English speaking. So you can find me there, and you you see my homepage. So you can write me, yeah. or you can add me on Instagram, yeah, or Facebook, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, uh, you you, you, you mentioned you have a book, correct? Where where can people find that? That book is not ready yet. It, uh, I'm writing on it since ten years, so <laughs> and <laughs> I, I I'm a little bit a perfectionist, I guess. But slowly, slowly, my perfectionism is healing. So <laughs> when it is completely healed, the book will be ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Well, yeah, it was it was a great pleasure to have you on and we'll we'll definitely get you back on because it was a lot of fun. And uh, any of my listeners, you should already be on Clubhouse. You know, I'm on there and uh, there, there's so many great conversations to be had. You know, obviously, there are some bad conversations that are just not worth the time. But the, the good ones always seem to just like I, I always walk away from Clubhouse from a good conversation. A, a good speech, a good lecture or whatever. And I, I don't know, I feel fulfilled. You know, I, I've never, never felt bad. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely those conversations, those people on there that uh, definitely like to introduce chaos or negativity. And I, I find it interesting that that's the path that they've chosen. Um, but you can always, you know, leave quietly. So, and, uh, Everyone else uh, watching, listening, make sure to go to risetoliberty.com slash links. That's where you can find uh, everywhere where we are on the internet. Uh, we stream to DLive, Rumble, and YouTube as long as that lasts, you know, talking about difficult subjects and uh, individual liberty. It's not very popular these days, so it uh, upsets the big tech overlords sometimes. But uh any, any final words before we get out of here? That's it. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for watching, everybody. And uh, until next time, stay free, my friends.